0: Pray with me, Heavenly Father. We thank you for the words we just sang, Lord. We consider your goodness to us, we consider the meekness and humility, Lord, that you displayed on our behalf. How can we not praise you, Lord? Words can't express. Lord, this, is, this news about the gospel is too good to be true. Lord, help us see that more clearly, Lord, as we look at your word. Lord, as we look at these texts, these, these ancient texts that are alive and active, they're able to judge the thoughts and intentions of our heart. They're able to discern our thoughts, our emotions, our desires, our will. Lord, our words our relationship to others. Lord, so help us to be attentive to those things today. Lord, as we look at a passage in your scripture, Lord, about taking thought captive. Lord, we do this for your praise, for your honor, for your glory. Lord, help us to learn what it means to live on this side of the cross after salvation. And Lord, for those in here who do not know Christ, Lord, that is why they're here. Lord, so they can connect with him and have more of him in their life. So Lord, I pray that you would cause those people to be born again to the living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and rescue them. Help them to see who they are without you, Lord, but help them to see your great love and mercy that you have for them. May they stop running away and run to this morning. Lord, for those of us who know you in here, Lord, I pray that you would help us know what it means to walk by faith and not by sight. Help us to know what it means to have discernment by testing the spirits, Uh, testing the apostles' teaching, Lord, gaining insight from your word, Lord, being filled with all the knowledge of your word to be able to take that into the mundane moments of our lives and do battle there where life takes place. So, Lord, we just thank you so much for this time together. We ask that you're glorified and you're honored this morning, as always, that we'd walk away from this place with Jesus being exalted more highly in our hearts. And, Lord, we just praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. And Miss Danielle, I think, has the kids kids are going to be leaving. There she is. Well, good morning. My name is Pastor Silva. That's what I go by here. Um, Matthew. You can call me Matthew if you want, but that's what my grandma called me. Grandma's in here. You are more than welcome to call me Matthew. Just don't do it with a a mean tone. When Grandma called me Matthew, I was in trouble all the time. But Pastor Silva, I am one of your pastors here, one of your elders. And it is such a privilege to be able to be up here sharing God's word with you this morning. I want to dive right in because there is a lot of, this is my favorite passage in the entire scriptures right here. We're in Second Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 to 6. There's kind of a tradition that I have followed since I've come to know the Lord. And and you don't have to do it if you don't want to. If you're able to do it, would you please stand in honor of God's word as I read it? The Apostle Paul in chapter 10, verse 1 says, I, Paul, myself, entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. I, who am humble when face to face with you, but bold towards you when I am away. I beg of you that when I am present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive, making it obedient to Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. You may be seated. That, my friends, is a lion in a cage that just needs to be let out. Taking thought captive. Taking thoughts captive. That is the theme of our time this morning. Paul, in this letter, is defending his apostolic ministry. He has been under attack. One thing, a few things I want to point out about Paul I want you to bring to your mind. Number one, Paul is a human, just like you and I. Number two, Paul was saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 9, you can read that story, where he came to know Jesus Christ as his Savior. Paul was born again, just like many of you in here. Paul dealt with real people, he faced real problems. And he had a real God. And one of the things that you're going to see with Paul is that he's real. And you see that as he writes his letters, both inspired and breathed out by God, the Holy Spirit, but also Paul is able to work within his own personality and and, and work out his faith with this fear and trembling that he talked about. And here it's like he's peeling back the curtains of time and he's allowing us to come in on a very, very personal circumstance that he's dealing with. Paul's in a real battle. Paul is, has a real enemy. Paul's enemy is our enemy. Paul's enemy is the evil one who seeks to devour us as Christians but Paul had real resources for this battle and that's what I want to share with you this morning as Paul's resources for the battle we're gonna look at this by not bringing our agenda into the passage we're gonna to try to do the best that we can to draw out what's there and then I want to get real practical with you at the very end and and teach you how to take thought ca- thoughts captive by the Word of God so if we're going to understand Paul, we're going to ha- have to understand his struggle a little bit. So the first, very first part, you're going to see Paul's entreaty to the Corinthian church. Paul's entreaty to the Corinthians. He says, I, Paul, myself, entreat you. Who talks like that? <laughs> when was the last time you said to your kids when they are in trouble, mine are getting older, right? Well, some of them are getting bigger. And they can probably take me, because I'm getting older, too. But I don't remember the last time saying to them, I, Dad, Myself. So what's going on there? There's an emphasis. There's, this is emphatic. Paul is, with all his heart, he's reaching out to the Corinthian church. So that's the, that's the, the reason why he says, I, Paul, Myself entreat you. He used the same language in 2 Corinthians 5 20 when he says, we appeal to you to receive the grace, to not receive the grace of God in vain. In 2 Corinthians 6 1 he says, we're working together with him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. And lastly in Philippians 2, another letter he says, I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord Paul is begging he's pleading he's petitioning he's calling out to the Corinthian church with everything that he has and all his effort this word entreat became known later as summon like I'm summoning you to court I'm going to summon you I'm going to bring you into the courtroom of God I'm going to bring you into the courtroom of my mind is what Paul's going to do So he entreats the Corinthian church. So we have to, number one, we need to have that same passion towards others within the church body. And what way does Paul entreat these Corinthian believers? Well, he does so by looking at the example in Christ. And you see that in the latter part of verse 1. I, Paul, myself, entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ you know what that is (laughs) that stops your flesh right in its tracks right there think about it it was Spurgeon who said that there's only one place in the scriptures where Jesus describes who he is oh the scriptures describe who Christ is all the way from the very beginning to the end But the one place in Scripture where Jesus describes who he is, he points out two attributes. And oftentimes when we're in conflict with others, as you're going to see, as Paul is, we forget this. We do. We get spiritual amnesia. And how can we not, when, when, when the flesh is controlling us, when we're driven by selfish ambition... We're not after the things that are gentle, lovely, pure, true, lovely, excellent. We're not after those things. We're after the things that are unspiritual, earthly, and demonic. These two attributes of Christ are not on our radar. You're probably wondering where it's at, right? Some of you guys have been studying the scriptures for a long time. Where in the world did Jesus describe himself? In other words, if you want to know who I am, you say, hey, Pastor Silva, who are you? And I'm going to say, this is who I am. And people can say all kinds of things about about me, but this is who I am. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 11, says if you want to know something about who I am, he says that I am gentle and lowly in heart. Think about that. Out of all the things that Jesus could have described himself as, you know, he could have said, I'm full of wrath, I'm full of mercy, I'm full of grace, I'm full of truth, I'm omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient. But Christ, in the midst of dealing with an overwhelming religion that was putting burdens on God's people, says to them, take my yoke upon yourself. Trust me. Why? Because I'm gentle and I'm lowly. Isn't it interesting that that's what Paul points himself to? In the midst of what he's struggling with, Paul remembers his example in Christ. You see, these false teachers that were behind the scenes that you cannot see, they had mistaken Paul's timidity as weakness they had mistaken his meekness and gentleness as a weakness men who are leading God's church don't act like that that's weak but Paul cut right through that and he remembered the meekness and gentleness of Christ because by Paul's meekness and gentleness this was, this was in actuality not a portrait of weakness. It was a portrait of Jesus Christ because Paul lived to make the invisible Christ visible and there is no other way to do that than dealing with real problems and real people and expressing his real faith and his real God. Paul was following in the footsteps of Jesus Christ and we need to do the same. That's why Paul can say, and I've got a little challenge for you. This is hard to say, just don't say it. I've always had a hard time with 1 Corinthians 11.1 1, where Paul says to follow my example as I follow Christ. Because part of me just wants to say, don't, don't look at me, follow him. Right, have you said that? Be honest. Yeah, 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 I know I've messed up, I know I yelled at you, I know I did this, I know I was acting like a knucklehead, but it's not about me. It's about Jesus Christ. The reason why 1 Corinthians 11.1 is so hard is because being a disciple of Jesus Christ is about telling others to follow me because I'm following Jesus Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. And this is, if we're going to follow Christ, we have to inhibit this idea of meekness and gentleness. Humility. That's what we need to be about. That's what Paul was about Paul was actually walking in wisdom who is wise and understanding among you James says by his good conduct let him show his works by what the meekness of wisdom Paul is walking in wisdom he's following the example of Christ now meekness carries with it that idea if you if you look at it this way this God word orientation between the, the 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 worshiper and God meekness represents the humility of self before God that's what meekness represents gentleness on the other hand is humility in the treatment of others That's why the the first thing that I do when I diagnose conflict in my life is I'm out of alignment. I'm out of alignment because my meekness towards God is not right. That's why I'm having conflict with this person. So in a way, you could say Paul's orientation towards others was great commandment oriented. Love God with all your mind, heart, and soul, and love others as yourself. So Paul... Had to get his alignment right with the Lord first, and meekness, he had to see who he was before the Lord, and then in gentleness, he would, he would be able to approach others. He was great commandment oriented. You see this example in the same book in Corinthians. Paul is under attack, and what they're attacking him specifically is his integrity. They're saying he's not an apostle. They're saying that he's not even a Christian. That they're saying that his, his letters are, are, are weighty, they're strong. He's real bold and big in his letters, but behind the scenes, we've seen Paul. He's a little guy, and they're attacking his integrity. And Paul in 2 Corinthians 5, just look at this for a second. You, once you begin to see this with Paul, you begin to understand this is not just a book that's meant to be studied in a seminary. This is a book where people are living lives in the trenches of real life like you and me. And this is a book where the Apostle Paul, yes, the Apostle, yes, deemed important as a leader, but he's very, a real dude, dealing with real problems. Look at this in 2 Corinthians 5. Yes, it's intentional I do not have PowerPoint up today. How many of you have your Bibles with you? Hold them up high. You guys see who has them? The older generation has them. Younger generation, pay attention. They know better. They're walking in wisdom. I do that at the mission, and like, nobody raises up their Bibles, you know? Nobody. Dave does in the back. Dave's like, I got mine. And then the the poor people that I drag around to do worship you know, they're the, they learn to bring it, so they don't get guilt-tripped, you know. But we're not at the mission. We're at Crosspoint Community Church, and we want to be about the Word of God, so let's bring the Word of God to church. Okay? So 2 Corinthians 5. He says in verse 9, most of you know this passage, so whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. Target, please God. Christian, you can hit that target every time. Sometimes we don't, but we can. And that's what we need to aim. We aim at the target of pleasing God. Then look what he says in verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. What's Paul doing here? He's making sure his alignment with his God is right. Is he out of alignment? People have said some hard things about me. I need to just not throw it out the door, but I need to take what they've said and bring it to the judgment seat of Christ. That's what matters. You know, sometimes some of the hardest things that people say to you come from the people that you don't like but they're the most true things. Paul, I'm sure, people have said some things that weren't true, but what Paul was most concerned about was getting things right before God. That's what he was most concerned about because that's what meekness and that's what gentleness does As they realize it's not about me, it's not about my reputation, it's not about anything other than making sure that I'm right and connected and in right alignment with God. That's what's important. And that's exactly what Paul did as he went to the judgment seat of Christ and he laid it out there. And then then he says, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. You see, he got his alignment right. And then he approached people and he appealed to their conscience. He appealed to his love for Christ. He appealed to his lifestyle. And then he talked about the, the importance of being ambassadors for Christ, being reconcilers to the world, bringing Jesus to people. But you guys, you know why our evangelism and our outreach gets so disrupted? It's because we're really about us. That's why. You, you guys want to do evangelism? You guys want to do outreach in this church? Love people. Didn't Jesus say that? I think he said, Dave, did he say that? They will know you are my disciples by the way that you love people. So you know what that means? Stop your hate mail. Stop your blogging. Get off of Facebook. Get off of social media. And get the alignment with God right. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Fear God. Yeah, can I say it? Yes. Fear Him. That's a good motivation. And in the same passage in 2 Corinthians 5, Paul says he's controlled by the love of Christ. Fear God love God love Christ so that's the example that Paul followed so what has this got to do with conflict so far well there's the are we passionately concerned about the things of God because Paul is walking in the flesh would have said you know what forget you you want to call me small Yeah, yeah come on you see how small I am right is that not always a thought away from being controlled by the flesh? Honestly? Yes. It is. Because Paul knew that he had to get his orientation right so that he can be passionately passionate about the things that Christ is passionate about. And that's why he himself Paul entreats the Corinthians and by how the gentleness and meekness of Christ. So that's fine and dandy, but what was going on behind the scenes with Paul? Let's look at Paul's external circumstances. That's your third point in your outline. There's a few things that are going on that I want you to draw out just so you can get in the shoes of this guy. One, in verse one, the very latter part of it, it says, I who am humble when face to face with you, but bold towards you when I'm away. Exclamation point there's something going on here there's an accusation that's being made there's several accusations that's being made against Paul this is the first one this is the accusation false apostles and teachers had accused Paul of exhibiting boldness from a distance but when he was within striking distance he was humble weak lowly 2 Corinthians 10.10, a little bit further, you can kind kind of see a little bit more of this. For they say, his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak, and his speech is of no account. Maybe today it may go something like this. You're a big man driving a little car. You're a little man driving a big car and you have those you know why you have that little step stool on that that truck right Paul because you can't just step into the truck because you're a small little man and you're strong when you're in that car that big truck that you have listening to them country songs on the back roads Paul but we know when you get out of that truck you're you're very weak I mean, I'm mean, honestly, you guys, I'm trying to bring it into the 21st century. That's what's going on. They're attacking him. They're attacking who God made him to be, right? So it, it, it'd be the equivalent of a Randy Newman song, right? And I don't mean Toy Story. Some of you guys know who Randy Newman is. Let me introduce you to Randy Newman. Because if Randy Newman were alive and he were a false apostle, false teacher, trying to get Paul, he would have wrote this song for Paul. It says, short people got no reason to live. They got little hands, little eyes. They walk around telling great big lies. They got little noses and tiny little feet, tiny teeth. They wear platform shirt shoes, he says, on their nasty little feet. They got little baby legs that stand so low. You got to pick them up just to say hello. (laughs) And he goes on. Now, behind the story with Randy Newman, there's a a tall guy and a small guy going on, and he wrote the tall guy story later. You guys can read it later. But for Paul, this is not funny. This is not games. But this is the kind of thing that's going on. So how does Paul defend himself? You see that in verse 2. It says, I beg of you. You see that? I beg of you, when I am present... That when I am present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence, as I count on showing against some of you who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. The truth is, Paul confronted when the occasion was right and necessary. And why was Paul holding back? 2 Corinthians one twenty-three it says, But I call God to witness against me... It was to spare you that I refrained from coming again to Corinth. You guys, you see, the meekness and gentleness may appear on the one hand to be weak, cowardly, but not in Paul's eyes. He was sparing them. And sometimes we need to spare people that are walking according to the flesh. With the gentleness and meekness of Christ, which means that there is an occasion, there is a time to confront. But we need to give people an opportunity to repent of their sins. If they do not repent, Paul knew that there would be major consequences. In Galatians 2.11, he uses strong words against a friend, his friend Peter. Peter. It says, but when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Paul was speaking about Peter's hypocrisy. When James came to visit the Gentile church, Peter immediately disassociated himself from the Gentiles. Why? Because he feared the circumcision party. That's why he did it, and Paul called him out for it. You see a little bit more of these accusations in verse 3. So he's been accused already of being small in stature. He's been accused of walking according to the flesh. Verse 3, he says, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. What's Paul saying? I'm human. I know that my biggest battle's not out there. I know the roaring enemy of my soul, the roaring lion seeks to devour me, I know that. I know that he's working in and through people to try to, to, to get people to sidestep God's plan for the world, redemption through Christ, reconciliation in his blood. I know that. I do walk in the flesh, but understand one thing. I'm not waging war according to the flesh this is their second accusation and this is the worst of all accusations they're accusing paul of not being a christian that's what they're doing it's not like you're just some nut job that got sidetracked and you're a, you know you, you you're a false teacher and everything else paul you're not even a christian paul Paul, reasons with these, he, Paul is reasoning with the Christians and the Christian community, not the false apostles. That's another point. Paul cares most about the church. And because he cares most about the church, the decisions that he makes are going to be wrapped in the idea of the example of Christ, which is having others' interests above your own, and sometimes meekness and gentleness can be interpreted as weakness. But Paul is not weak. Paul reasons with them. He says that he, he walks in the flesh as a human. However, he's not waging war according to the flesh. In other words, Paul did not retreat to human wisdom. Why would he not report, resort to these things? because this is what false teachers were doing. Paul's greatest defense to these accusations was integrity, was a lifestyle of consistent, not perfect, but being perfected. If, if we resort to overcoming evil with evil, we're just doing what the world does. You see? That's why James would use such powerful language In James chapter 4, he says, you adulterous people. He's talking to Christians, by the way. You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? And then that word enmity just stands out like, boom, Genesis 3.15. Do you not know that I put enmity enmity between your seed and her seed, Satan's offspring and Eve's offspring? That's what this whole thing is about. We are supposed to be born again and rescued and brought into, brought out of this, this dark seed offspring from Satan, and we've been plucked into the kingdom of light. We're no longer to live that way. But we do sometimes, and that's why we have a faithful and great high priest in heaven who forgives us of our sins, the great mediator who's seated at the right hand of God. But the reality is, the reason why we could be called adulterous people with that language is because when we're living in a way that's filled with selfish ambition and a desire for self and pride, we actually are going back to what we've been rescued from. And the way that God sees it is that we are committing spiritual adultery with him. Guys, I'm not that good. The Bible is that clear in James chapter 4 if you want to look at it. So that's what we need to remember. We are not waging war according to the flesh. That's what the false apostles were doing. Paul, instead, he keeps his eye on his commanding officer. Paul is sharing in the suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Where it says, No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. So our commanding officer is Christ, and we are not waging war according to the flesh. Let's now recognize the most important part of the application of this sermon and it's in verses four to six of second corinthians if we're going to get this right we have to understand what paul's equipment was for combat the first thing paul does in verse four is he introduces a general principle and we're going to close that up with a specific application in the end so he says for for the of our warfare, are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy destroy strongholds. So what's going on here? Think of warfare. Okay, visualize this with me. I don't have my little whiteboard. Okay, I I teach a lot, but I I don't have it with me. Okay, so you got a heart. Right here in the middle. Come on. Medical people, what did I just say? That was wrong, right? Okay, to the right. No, just kidding. But our heart, the way that we think about our heart, we're not talking about the physical heart. We're talking about what you cannot see. It's the immaterial part of who you are as a human. The physical body, you can see. You have arms, you have legs, you have a nose, you have a mouth, you have a physical brain, you have a real heart. But what we're talking about is what's going on in the the part of you that you cannot see, which is the spiritual heart. And inside of that heart, if you have been rescued by Christ, if you've been born again to the living hope, you have the Holy Spirit in your heart. Now, you don't have to wait for that. It's not some special anointing that you get for for giving a certain amount of money or doing something spectacular in the church under the name of whatever you want to call it. When you became a believer in Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. And that's good news for you because it means that you have the one in you who is greater than he who is in the world who is Satan. So it means that the battle out there is with Satan, but your biggest battle is what's going on in here in your heart. So the Holy Spirit's in your heart, but you also have the flesh, the remaining part of you that was rescued at the cross, but not yet fully restored and redeemed. And that's your battle that's going on. That's what James 4 was talking about. You know, what causes fights and what causes quarrels among you? Is it not this, that you have passions, at war within you? What's at war within you? The Holy Spirit and your flesh. That's what's always warring in your heart. So if you think about the weapons of our warfare, think about this. Under each one of those, Holy Spirit or flesh are at the very root of these things is what we call lusts. They're called passions. It's what we want. They're not bad all the time so long as they're kept under the throne of Christ, under the control of the Spirit. But they can become ungodly, unspiritual, demonic, real quick... And how do we know that? When we want something and we don't get it, or we get something and we don't want, how do we react to that? You know real quick who's under, under the control, what you're under the control of, either your flesh or your spirit. So when Paul's talking about the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, what he's saying is the lusts really are what's, what's the strategy of the lusts that you want in your heart. Okay. I want respect and, and wanting respect is not a bad thing but if I get that respect say for my wife at home by being prideful by walking according to the flesh my strategy in my heart is going to be to fulfill whatever that is. So there's a lot of manipulation going on for me to get what I want. But if I don't get what I want, I may get angry. That's how I know my strategy is not of God. It's of my flesh. So what he's talking about is these, these, the strategy are the plans in your heart to carry out what you really, really, really want. He's, and the weapons really are just the avenues of to help you accomplish what you really want in your heart so my wife i love her so long as she's respecting me but she starts talking smack about the green bay packers beating my vikings one more time it's not respect that's no respect there feelings of anger animosity may, may flare up the strategy in my heart if it's respect the weapons, what do I need to get my respect? The avenues. Okay, I hope you understand that. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. So Paul is identifying the reality that he has a battle going on in his heart, in his flesh, but he's saying, but the, the weapons are not, of, of our warfare is not of the flesh, but we have divine power to, to destroy strongholds. So Paul has power from God. You guys, we need to tap into this, this morning. We need to tap into this today. One thing that I see in my own life is a weak Christian. I'm weak. Doesn't mean my God is weak. Just means I'm weak. My dog, German Shepherd, can jump over an eight-foot fence, easy. But yet, he's restrained at a fence that's like two feet in our backyard. Why is that? He doesn't know he can jump over it yet. He was made to be a German shepherd, but he can't jump over a little wee-wee fence. You guys, we as Christians, who we are in Christ has the ability to shake the entire universe as we know it. Yeah, I'm not going to get all mystical and weird with you. I, I don't do that. John MacArthur, I'll never forget, when Larry King was alive, Larry King brought him on live. He brought him on live, and he brought all the other religious people with him. You know, you've got the Joel Olstein there. You've got the religious rabbi, the Catholic guy who doesn't know who he is, the Catholic charismatic, which is also interesting. But they're all in the same room. And each of them were asked, is Jesus the only way to heaven? And you know the one guy that said he's the only way to heaven was John MacArthur. Everybody else just, yeah, he is for me. I mean, he's my God. Little tiny God you have. What a little God, right? That little God in your little, little truck that you have. No, but John MacArthur, he says, hey, Jesus said himself he's the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. His apostles were saying, you know, the the first Corinthians were saying, there is no other name under heaven which man can be saved but through Jesus Christ. And that was in the midst of a Caesar saying, not a Caesar salad, a Caesar saying. What was a Caesar saying? Everybody was saying, there's no other God that man could be saved but, but through Caesar. And the Christians were saying, you know what? It's through Christ. Christians weren't getting their heads cut off and being lit up in their arenas as fire for just being subtle. They were bold. And let me say something. This may get me in trouble. I don't really care. Church, we need to wake up. Because you know what's coming our way? It just happened in Canada. They are going to put pastors in jail for telling people that they need Jesus Christ and they need to turn from homosexuality. They are going to find counseling centers $1,000 a day. $1,000. You guys don't think this is coming? It's here. What are we going to do? we going to buckle? The interesting thing about the whole John MacArthur story, you know who he was dating, married to? Madonna. Guy Ritchie calls, Guy Ritchie, Madonna's husband at the time, calls Grace Community Church, says, hey, I need to talk to that pastor that was on, on the... TV last night. John MacArthur, just this is the thing about being in Hollywood, I guess. He just goes and visits him at his house. says, yeah, i John MacArthur. Can I help you? Yeah, you were on TV last night. And I just want to talk to you about a statement you made. Okay. You see, the statement that you made last night knocked the, the equilibrium of the universe off its axis last night. John MacArthur says, tell me more. You know what the statement John, John MacArthur made? Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. And he sat down with Guy Ritchie, Madonna's husband, and talked about the gospel for over an hour. Shortly after they got divorced, I don't know what happened there. But the reality is, we need more of a picture of John MacArthur's God than Joel Olstein's God. Because our God can shake, knock the equilibrium of the entire universe off access anytime he wants. And you know why he doesn't? Because he's meek, and he's gentle, and he's patient. But we all know that, Je- that Jesus Christ upholds the entire universe by the power of his word. It says that in Hebrews chapter 1. But this is the God that Paul knew, and this is the God that Paul loved. And because he loved this God and understood this God, he treated people accordingly. They were able to destroy those strongholds with the knowledge of God. So lastly, let's look at a specific application. Paul uses the same word destroy in verse 4, but now he is referring to a specific situation. And there's a principle here. And as I meet with people, the challenge is, is trying to get to move them out of fuzzy land generality land and bring them into the specifics okay I get it in principle we do we both do but how did this play out last night at 721 p.m. and 21 seconds what were you thinking what was going through your mind what did you want what were you desiring how did you feel about that what did you say how did you relate to that person no 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 pastor I get it. I I totally get it. We don't need to go there. But you know the problem is if we don't go there? No change. That's a bold statement. You hear what I said? There's going to be no change. Because you've learned how to sin in the specifics, in the mundane, we need to do battle there. Not the generalities. That's Sunday morning at 1015. This is generalities. Specifics. And that's exactly what Paul's doing here. This is what he says, he says, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. For some of you who are taking notes, this may be helpful. What I want to do with the remainder of my time is this. I want to take every thought captive to obey Christ. I just want to look at each one of those phrases, okay? I'll give you a little acronym to do it. They're O's. Number one, ownership. Ownership. This is the hardest thing to do, but it is the most important thing to do, is to take ownership. It's coming in the form of take and we take but this is more like i paul myself take this is not passive this is not something that just god does here you're a little robot i'll just put this little button on when you're having trouble and you'll just breeze right through this no this is a commitment this is a digging your heels into the idea that i am going to join god in this for his glory i'm going to make it my aim to please him right here and right now in this situation Right here. So you need to take ownership. Take every thought. The occasion for this. Occasion, that's the second O. Sometimes we do this. Every. How many thoughts do we need to do this? Can I just stop with 70 times 7 thoughts and I'm done? No. Every thought captive. So I am taking ownership, I, myself, Paul, I, myself, Matt, take ownership to take every thought captive. You know, the problem that I see within the Christian community and myself is that we have this this idea that, yeah, I have salvation. I know I'm going to heaven. If you ask me what the gospel is, I'll tell you that Jesus died for my sins and he died for me. we have a very limited understanding of what it is to be a disciple of jesus christ after salvation and this is what paul's teaching us it's not passive it's not hey just do this when you get a chance or the big things in life you know what you know what destroys marriages the little things over and over and over and over and over again. That's what destroys marriages. If we would take Paul's, we would join him, we'd be passionate about this, we, we would do this every time, every thought that's out of alignment with, with God, we would, we would take that, and we, what would we do with it? We would take it captive, and we, we would make it obedient to the object. Christ. Okay. How do you do that? How do you How do you do that? Well, for starters, you got to know the word of God. Old people put it up again. Old saints, wise saints, you got to know the word. You know what the problem is with my generation? We don't know the word. We don't. We look at it more like it's a textbook in a history class. We, yeah, we got our little, our, our little smartphones, you know, our little apps. But what gets us more is what's being thrown at us at those apps, right? We got to know the word of God. That's how you take thoughts captive. This is, what, this is what Paul did, and this is what we're called to do. What was his heart response? His heart response was to obey Christ. Note what Paul doesn't say here. This is interesting. This is interesting. I just saw this last night as I was looking at it. Remember when I told you the heart is made up of thoughts, emotions, and desires, right? The immaterial part of you. There's a really real sense about us that we have emotions. We do get angry. We do love. We do get bitter. They're there. Emotions aren't the problem. They're not. Emotions are the byproducts of something that's come before it. And what does Paul point out here? Take every emotion captive. How does it say that. Take every... Fill in the blank. He says thoughts. Your thoughts. Take your thoughts captive because I don't care how clever you are, you can't have an emotion if you don't think something. What's under our control as Christians? Our thoughts. Our emotions aren't under our control because they're the byproduct of our thoughts. You guys see it? That is a huge nugget for us, which tells us that's why I had Pastor Wesley read Romans 12. Right? It's it's about your thoughts. And making them captive, not just to anything, not just to Ricky Lake's newest thing or or uh, Dr. Phil or whoever whoever else you listen to, but take your thoughts captive to the Word of Christ and obey Him. And His strategy is simple: follow in the footsteps of Jesus Christ. Hey, where do we know that? Deepak, Reku, no. The Word of God tells us who Jesus Christ is. Right? The Word of God does this. For instance, here's a nugget. Jesus in John chapter 12, verse 27, before the cross has already resolutely set his face towards Jerusalem because he came to serve And to give his life as a ransom for many. And Jesus knows this and it's getting closer to the cross. It's getting closer to his time. And John chapter 12, it peels back the curtains for us. It didn't have to. But we get to see a little bit of the humanity of Christ. And he's wrestling with the idea of going to a cross for you and going to a cross for me. He's, he's wrestling with the idea that the fullness of God's wrath upon our sin and what our sin deserves is going to be put on him. He's wrestling with this note. We have never ever felt anything like this before. It's brought tears of blood in the garden. And it's a real struggle and it's a real temptation. And he says, Father, what shall I do? Father, what shall I do? Save me from this hour. Please. It shows you that even the Son of God contemplated sidestepping the, tr- the cross, which had amazing consequences if it would have happened. But how did Jesus, and, and this is what I love, how did Jesus take every thought captive and make it obedient to the word of Christ? How did he do that? There's a, there's a conjunction in there, and it's three letters but, you guys need to learn but today, but for this purpose, I have come, what? Jesus, you're going to die on the cross, you're going to take all the, there's another way, it's been offered to you by Satan himself in Matthew chapter 4, just take it. There could be another way. And Jesus says, no, for this purpose I have come. Before the foundations of the world, God the Father designated his son to go and save the world of their sins. Before you and I were even a twinkling in our mother's eye, Jesus knew that his plan was to completely obey God the father and sidestepping the cross would add ramifications for us yes but ramifications first and foremost between the father and the son he knew that's what he was called to do so here's my thing did Jesus not grow up as a human did Jesus not study the scriptures was Jesus not seen in Luke as people were talking to him with amazement of who he was and what he knew and the knowledge that he was attaining did Jesus not know Isaiah 53 did Jesus not know Genesis chapter 3, verse 15? Did Jesus not know the Davidic covenant? Did Jesus not know the Abrahamic covenant? Did Jesus not know all these things that were pointing to him where everything would find its yes and amen in him? So in him we have the fullness of God in its entirety. Did Jesus not know that? How did Jesus take that thought captive? He made it obedient to the word of God. And that's what we have to do. I'm going to close with this. I've got some make, make the connection assignments here. You guys, if I just get up here and preach, and we do nothing with it, and we're like, amen, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. What's the point? Make the connection. Make it. Move this into your life this week. This is yours. This is a gift to you from God. How do you connect with this? How do I take my thoughts captive? Number one, let's look at the outline we already said. Am I willing to entreat others in the same way that Paul entreated the Corinthian church? The thing about the Corinthian church is they were ugly, just like us. Uh, what are you talking about? They're, weren't they walking around with little halos on their head? Yeah, one guy was getting drunk in communion. Check that out. Another guy had his mother-in-law's, you know, his father's wife. But these are Christians. This is, these are the people that Paul was talking to, and he loved them, because Christ loved them, and Christ was meek, and Christ was gentle, and that's why Paul was meek, and Paul was gentle. Will we draw off his, his example of that meekness and gentleness. You guys, I have people, when I first start meeting with them, and there's marriage conflict, I have them memorize The first verse that we just looked at. I haven't put their name there. I, who are you? Larry? John? Billy? I, John, myself. You need to become passionate about keeping peace with your wife. Entreat you. Plead with her. Entreat her. Follow the example of Christ. And then if you can just, during that time, if you can just transform your mind be transformed by the renewal of God's word, and you can just say, you know what? What I really, really, really want is this. But for this purpose, I have come. Father, help me to be meek and help me to be gentle. And that means I may not get my way. How many marriages are operating like that? Guys, if I'm being honest, it's not mine. Not all the time. But it needs to be, I need to be striving towards that. Meekness, gentleness of Christ. Christ. Will I follow in his example. Third, am I aware of my external circumstances? What's really going on? I need to take a hard look at that. Are there areas because I am human and I do fail? Are there areas that I need to own up on? Yes, most of the time there are. And I tell people this and I have to follow it myself. Look, John, if you have done 1% of the problem and she's 99%, I need you to own 1%, 100% energy. And you need to focus in on that 1%. Can you do that? I don't know. We could take every thought, John, every thought captive and make it obedient to God's word. We could do this because we have the Holy Spirit. Can we commit to that? I'll try. Good enough for me. Let's work with God. What are my external circumstances? What's going on around me? I'm going to take a long look at that because you know what? Those are vehicles of sanctification. Those are vehicles of growth to look more like Christ. And when we're walking according to our flesh, our mind is not there. Our mind is about hiring this defense attorney that's so always available for me to defend me all the time. I mean, I can't even rely, you say something to me, I'm like, get him! Yeah, that's right! No, 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 no. I need to live by the Spirit, I need to be under His control, I need to be obedient to Christ through knowing His Word, and living for His Word, and fourthly, will I put on the right equipment for combat I don't have time to unravel the application of this, but I do have a resource available for anybody that wants it. It's by Stuart and Zandra Scott. Um, They're both deeply involved in discipleship ministry in the local church. And they have a little uh, resource, called How to Renew the Mind. And it's like four pages. And it'll walk you through how to do that, biblically, practically. And that's available to you. We'll post it on our website. Uh, for those of you who are watching online, but also if you want to pick one up outside the door, we have them available out there. So that's it. It's been good. I'll see you guys in three months. <laughs> Wait, just kidding. Um, but, but you guys, what amazing passage. Can you guys see why this is my favorite passage in the entire scriptures? Until I preach again, I'll tell you what my next favorite passage is, right? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time together. Lord, I thank you for your word. Thankful, Lord, that it's so clear and yet so hard to follow. Lord, the real supernatural work of the Holy Spirit is a lifestyle of integrity, a commitment to character, to looking more like Christ and less like ourselves. So, Lord, help us all in here to be meek this week. Help us to be gentle in the relationships where you placed us, and help us, Lord, not to just um, forsake everything that's been said, but I pray that you would plant it deep in our hearts so that we can apply it this week. Lord, for those in here who do do not know Christ this morning, I pray that they would um, connect with somebody and talk to somebody. That's why they're here. That's the most important reason they came to church today, is not to look around and see what everybody else is doing, but to connect with the living God be transformed from the inside out that only comes from faith and trust in Jesus Christ your son for those in here Lord that are struggling Lord as the chaplains come up and they're they're settled around the church Lord I, I pray that um, your people would feel free to come up to them and pray with them and talk about their real struggles with their real problems and that they would be prayed for and know that they're loved Lord, we pray all these things in Jesus name amen